Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. This is my um, sermonette sermon notes for today. And I'm not doing the sermon. Actually, our lovely Mika is going to do the sermon today. This is just a sermonette. I'm supposed to, I got 10 minutes, so we're going to roll through this, okay? Let's get a move on. I'm going to wait till everybody's got one, and then we'll get going. Because you can follow along as I'm going through it. And then at the end, we will have a prayer, and I'm going to have you repeat with me in the prayer. So how's everybody doing? Everybody got one? Yep. Okay. So, my um, the value that I got for our core value statement is on godly character, having boldness in integrity, compassion, and humility. Well, the first thing I was going to do real quick, I was going to announce, like, because usually people announce, you know, who's speaking, and I was going to announce, well, we have a special speaker today. Then I thought, oh, I'm preaching. I'm talking about humility. Maybe I should maybe calm that down a little bit, because I was going to say international speaker, you know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm proclaiming that out, so, okay. But anyways, we're going to talk about integrity, compassion, and humility. So we're going to first start out with integrity. And the scripture that I picked out was Proverbs 10.9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes a crooked path will be found out. So having boldness integrity means we walk in honesty and a strong, a strong moral principles, no matter what the cost is to us. We walk in wholeness with God and with others. We honor God in our words and our deeds. Integrity means doing the right thing, even when it's not acknowledged by others or convenient for, for you, okay? And an individual, an individual with integrity is an antidote to self-interest. So here's some 10 behaviors of integrity. One, take responsibility for your actions, doing the right thing even when it's hard. Two, putting others' needs above your own. Three, offering to help others in need. Four, giving others the benefit of a doubt. Five, choosing honesty in all things. Six, showing respect to everyone. Seven, manifesting humility, knowing the difference between confidence and arrogance. Eight, being able to admit when you are wrong. Nine, showing regular reliability, show up to your obligations, and 10, conveying true kindness, be unrelentingly kind. And then uh, we go on to compassion. Now, compassion, I chose the scripture Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So compassion, the word compassion really means to suffer with another. 
Godly compassion is a righteous compassion that shows the correct kind of sympathy, responding in a way that is in the best interest of the person. Now, there's, I also wrote here on uh, unsanctified compassion is an unhealthy compassion. This is a fleshly compassion that moves beyond what God deems is appropriate and attempts to remedy the suffering of another person, even if it's not in their best interest. It is self-centered, more about alleviating your discomfort. It robs a person of the crucible that is necessary to transform. Its root is a disordered sense of responsibility. Disordered responsibility is driven by a fear of rejection and self-preservation, not what's best for the other person. It's selfish and a sense of false responsibility because we cannot control the actions, emotions, or responses of others. But here's some healthy ways to be compassionate. Be a good listener. Be empathetic. Being empathetic starts with listening and ends with seeing the world through another person's eyes. Be a volunteer. Your time is, val is a valuable asset that demonstrates great compassion. Be private. Don't tell others what someone has told you in confidence. Be a giver. Give, giving is a great way to show compassion. Be aware. Ask God to open your eyes to see where compassion is needed. Be kind. Never under a, underestimate a kind word. Be creative. Don't dismiss creative ideas. Sometimes that's just the way that God shows you someone in need. So God will show you great ways to be compassionate towards one another. So Danny Silk here says, Understanding one another's need needs is the holy grail of communication. Now we move on to humility. The scripture I picked out was Proverbs 22.4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are, and riches are riches and honor and life. So C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So Francis Frangipan also says, if we truly find him, no one will have to tell us to be humble. As we truly find God, the things which are so highly esteemed among men will be detestable in our sight. So biblical humility is grounded in the nature of God. To be humble, we must have faith that God will lead us in the best way to live. The importance of humility is directly related to the deadly consequences of pride. Pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. So James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace or shows favor to the humble. So let's let Jesus be our example of humility. He valued, uh, we need to value others above ourselves. We need to have the same mindset as Christ. We need to be a servant, humble yourselves, clothe yourselves in humility, and with humility comes wisdom and honor. And William Law says, you can have no greater sign of confirmed pride than when you think you are humble enough. 
And Brian Simmons says, humility, the one thing you lose the moment you think you have it. And then John Newton says, I am persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainment in the school of Christ and the brightest evidence that he in, is indeed our master. Also, this, this quote from Nathan Edwardson just really, really hits me. Um, the day of rogue, isolated, and unsubmitted church leaders must die. Healthy kingdom family requires humble and intentional accountability, not to mention the ways we as church have tolerated, perpetuated, and even celebrated this kind of invulnerable culture. The ways we have applauded talent and gifting over character and love. Nathan Edwardson is a, a pastor in uh, the Stirring Church in Redding, California. Yeah. So on the back page there, our lives are a journey of learning to live in the place of ultimate humility as fully surrendered bondservants of righteousness. So I want you to pray with me, and I'm going to repeat a line, and then I want you to repeat it. Um, you can repeat it with me, actually. So let's, let's uh, pray. Holy Spirit, I want the true character of Christ to live in purity and power. Lead me into a life of righteousness, peace, and joy in you. Righteousness that leads me to right the wrongs around me. Peace that displaces the chaos and darkness of the enemy. Joy that defies circumstances and strengthens me to do your will living a life of integrity, compassion, and humility. In your name, I pray, amen. So, who wants to join me on this journey? Come on, amen. Amen. I'll take it. Good job, good job, good job. Awesome. Happy Mother's Day. My name is Chris. I was fun leading worship this morning, and, and um, is, uh, didn't Lisa do a great job with that? You know, we've got some core values here at Harvest Valley that we believe is um, the reason why we're doing sermonettes and we talk about our core values is because this becomes the accountability in the culture. It's really hard to lead anything or to go anywhere of value or substance if you're managing people's personalities. Because we are all very different. And we all respond very differently in different situations. Would you agree? I know I do it right most of the time. So, oh, oh, gosh, humility, humility. Oh. So the, the, reality, the reality is that we've created some values that we believe uh, exemplify what it means to live as a believer and what it means to be a people of God. Character is critical. If you have gifting without character, you will have chaos. So we, we love the gifts. We like to see gifts in operation and move. But if we don't, if we don't have character, it's going to get really ugly. So. Well, and one of the reasons why we talk about it at length and why we have the sermonettes is because we just need to be reminded. 
Who are we going to be as a people? Where are we going to put our focus on things like last week, generosity? Can we communicate with one another, even have hard conversations that lead to great relationships for tomorrow? Can we do that? Can we have a communication that allows us to speak the truth in love with one another? Or do we just cover everything up and we don't talk about the hard things? We're just kind of fake. I don't want that in a community. So um, we, we're going to continue to talk about these values. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about stewardship. Um, and I think that's the last one we're going to be doing is Ben, yeah? No, we've got a couple more over this. Ben and Annalie are both, both doing one. So um, quick testimony. Annalie was not feeling well this morning. She had a brief text with... Um, someone in our congregation who uh, rebuked the illness, and then she texts me saying, I feel better like that. Can we just say praise God for that? Amen. God heals. It's really good. Um, I have the privilege and the honor of introducing to you the most beautiful, smartest, kindest, and wisest person that I know, and that's my wife, Mika. Um, she's going to bless us this morning with the word. She um, is a naturopathic doctor. I don't know if you're going to talk about your history, but she's a naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist, and, and she was all that before she became a believer. Uh, she moved up here, started her practice, and I totally missionary dated her into the kingdom. Um, I was like, hey. Uh, God actually told me on our, like, we kind of had a discovery date. You know, we had that cup of coffee to see, is there something here? Because we were very aware of each other, like, what's up? So um, being very aware of each other, we had this coffee date. And um, usually being single in my 30s and owning a mortgage company and, you know, just like, like well, managing my mortgage business for MetLife, but it was, I basically owned it, but whatever. The thing that was crazy was like, I would go on dates and like, eventually, one of the conversations was, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, people would have always told me I'd be a great pastor. This was before I was in ministry. And that was like a conversation killer. Like, it was like, oh, you're that guy. I'm out. You know, it was great. It worked fabulously. Being single, I'm like, okay. And she lit up. Well, why wouldn't you do that? That's how. And I was like, wait a minute. And then she wasn't a believer, right? So actually, I shared the gospel with her on her first date. Uh, we went out later that night, shared the gospel with her. Um, just we, we made some decisions about how we wanted to do dating um, as adults. <laughs> you know, it was like very, uh, very different process than when I was in my 20s. It was like, this was like, okay, we, we're going to put up really healthy boundaries. We want this to be really healthy. And we praise God for those boundaries that we put up. Um, and I had two kids. Um, that were kind of not living with me at the time, but I was in Sandpoint to be with my, my two older kids. And uh, so we ended up, six months later, she gave her life to Christ. And um, God told me she was a prophetess and a healer and that I needed to treat her that way. And that was a struggle because she's really hot. But the, <laughs> the, I just wanted to get you really red before you came up on so So... But the reality was that we were able to do that, and God just drew out of her these amazing gifts. And it's been amazing to see what God has done in the past 12 years as she's walked with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? 12 years. And 
her gifts in the medical arena totally apply to the spiritual arena. And it's amazing, it's amazing to watch. So I, I apologize now after the fact for embarrassing you, sweetheart. But I love you, and I'm so glad you're here. Can you welcome Mika Bassett to the platform? Just turn your mic on. That's so fun to be made bright red before you get up on the stage. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Uh, thanks. Thanks, honey. Oh, well, I, uh, I titled this message, Jumpstart Your Heart, because when I was asking God what he wanted to say today, I heard the word, like, in a second, jumpstart, and I just had the impression that he really, based actually on a, an experience I'll talk about later um, I had the impression that he really wanted to heal our hearts, um, the physical and the emotional. You know, since the beginning of COVID, I have seen more and more heart health problems than ever before. And actually, just this morning, Chris told me about a practice in New Jersey where, a medical practice, where they won't clear kids who've been vaccinated um, for school until they've had an echo and lab work. And it's just, you know, it's, it's staggering. And it's, it's not um, just people that have been vaccinated that are having problems with their heart. I'm seeing it all the time in my practice, strange and unusual things that I've never seen before in younger and younger people than I've ever seen before. Um, I've also treated more common health complaints around the heart than ever before, like high blood pressure. Um, it's just something that's been um, saddening to me. The other kind of heart problem that's really had my attention these days is those deep wounds of the spiritual and emotional heart and the devastating effects that those things can have on the lives of people around me. Um, stress has been at such an all-time high for people. We all know this. Anxiety, depression, stress-related emotions. I, I'm seeing that and treating that more than I ever have. I've changed the, the way I stock my medicinary because of it. I mean, it's, it's really been significant that we're treating those stress-related emotions um, more than any other time in 14 years of practicing. It's, it's staggering. Um, but that's not actually what's been keeping me awake at night, praying and seeking God and trying to understand. It's really those more long-standing emotional wounds that concern me, the ones that cause us to slowly close our hearts to God and to the people around us. So as I've contemplated Mother's Day and um, the health of our community, I just really felt compelled to talk about heart health and um, I don't mean to bring a somber message, but it's just such, a, uh, such an important thing for us and for our, our livelihood and our longevity. So the you know, spiritual and emotional health are definitely related um, from a medical perspective and from a spiritual perspective. And so I'm going to do some kind of practical teaching about risks, about um, prevention, treatment, 
and then I'm going to talk about the spiritual heart. So when we think of cardiovascular disease, a lot of people think more about men, I've noticed, than they think about women, yet it's actually the leading cause of death in women worldwide. 35% um, of deaths in women globally, in fact. And heart failure and arrhythmias cause four times more death than breast cancers. You know, we're, we're shown the images of breast cancer and women and breast cancer talked about a lot, but actually all these heart diseases are killing more women than breast cancer is. Um, some heart disease symptoms and risk factors are different from men and women. And some risk factors like obesity, metabolic syndrome, depression are happening more often in women. And women also have some kind of unique risk factors for heart disease like menopause. Those hormonal changes really do make a difference. Some heart disease risk factors like diabetes and smoking are even more dangerous for women. And women actually do worse after heart attacks than men do. Women are less likely to join and complete a cardiac rehab program. I'm thinking about women who are doing it all at home and are not willing to, to do those kinds of things. Um, women are just as likely to have a heart attack as men, and more women than men die each year of heart disease. Women also are underrepresented in research and prevention and treatment, so it just makes finding the solutions to the problem that much more challenging. So that's why I'm here talking about it. High blood pressure is actually the single largest risk factor for cardiovascular disease in women, uh, followed by high body mass index and high LDL cholesterol. Other kind of lesser known risk factors are early menopause and pregnancy-related problems. Even unemployment is a risk factor because it's linked to anxiety and depression. Almost half of Americans have some sort of cardiovascular disease. Half. That's just staggering to me. One out of every four deaths are caused by heart disease. Current statistics are not that easy to find, but my guess is that over the last two years, that hasn't gotten better. In fact, I'm guessing it's gotten a whole lot worse. The tragedy to me is really that the majority of heart disease can actually be prevented, and yet here we are. It's the number one threat to people's health in the world. So the risk factors to heart disease or for heart disease, some of the more common ones, high blood pressure, as I mentioned, um, high cholesterol, extra cholesterol can build up in the walls of the arteries, and sometimes that, those buildups can even break off and cause a clot, causing a, a heart attack or a stroke. Diabetes, adults with diabetes are two to four times more likely to die from heart disease than those who don't have diabetes. It really is impactful. Depression, adult, excuse me, adults with depressive disorder or symptoms of depression have 64% greater risk of developing coronary artery disease. And also those with heart disease are more likely to develop depression. So it's kind of this rotating wheel. Obesity, being overweight or obese is linked to other factors that increase the risk for heart disease like high blood pressure and diabetes. Certain behaviors are also going to put us at increased risk of 
heart disease. That includes smoking. I don't know if you know, but it's a major cause of cardiovascular disease, and it actually causes one in four of the cardiovascular deaths. And young, young women are the largest group of um, new smokers. Wow. Eating a poor diet, a high diet, a diet that's high in fat, salt, sugar, and cholesterol can lead to heart disease, of course. Um, not exercising, that's you know, one that, that we really know, and yet half of Americans don't do the recommended amount of exercise. Drinking alcohol excessively, heavy alcohol use can increase the risk for heart attack, failure, and even death. And the problems with the heart happen before we'll even have symptoms when we're drinking. Half of Americans have one of three of those major risk factors, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or smoking. So that's a lot of um, challenging information. What can we do? First, get moving. That's a big one. That's the one that I'm working on right now. It's like that when that falls off the map for me, I know that there's some problems. <laughs> so I'm working on that getting more consistent and not letting that slide when things get busy. So for the most health benefits, we need to get enough aerobic activity to kind of get our heart pumping and then doing some muscle building exercises every week. And, you know, of course, make sure that you're fit for doing that. If you used to exercise a certain amount and you haven't done that in years, really check with a doctor and make sure that you're good to go before you just pick that back up and assume that your body is going to do well with that. Um, each of us should get at least 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise five days a week. You hear lots of different things, so I'm just trying to give you some just basics of what you can do and how much is actually helpful. So 30 minutes, five days a week, or if you prefer something that's more intense like running, 15 minutes, five days a week. You can put that all in one bout, so you could go trail running on the weekend for an hour and 15 minutes and have really helped your heart. Having more muscle mass is also really important for the heart, so that's why we want to add those muscle-building exercises twice a week. And when possible, go outside into nature to exercise. There are studies upon studies upon studies about all the different health things you can think of, health problems you can think of. Every single one that's ever been studied gets better when you're in nature. Isn't that just the way God is? He, he made this beautiful creation. When we get out and immerse ourselves in it, things just improve. I know that's always true for me when I'm having a stressed time. If I go outside, oh, everything just comes down 10 notches. <laughs> so spend time with God in nature. Next, eat healthy foods. Um, you know, those unhealthy food choices do actually lead to weight gain. Most Americans gain one pound a year, and we are obese as a nation. One pound. That's like, ooh, I had a fun Christmas. <laughs> so that, that's how it happens, is slow. So we just have to make a little different trajectory, a little, little improvement in the right direction, and then we have incredible results down the road. So weight gain can definitely negatively affect your arteries, blood pressure, blood sugar, and lots of other aspects of heart health. 
So find somebody, find a practitioner that can help you put together a really great new nutrition plan. If you don't know what to do or if you're not exactly sure where to focus, find someone that can help you. In general, a heart-healthy diet is going to include more whole foods than packaged foods, and it's going to include more vegetables and fruits and whole grains, omega foods like salmon, skinless poultry, lean meats, beans, eggs, unsalted nuts, and dark chocolate, my favorite. <laughs> Avoid trans fats, saturated fats, chocolates, salt, and sugar. Did you guys know that 60% of the packaged foods and drinks consumed in America have added sugar? 60%. It's in mustard, it's in bread, it's in all the things. So as much as you can, shop in that outer part of the grocery store to stay away from the packaged foods. Next, aim for a healthy weight. Reaching and staying at a healthy weight is going to lower your risk of heart disease and stroke. And if you already have heart disease, a healthy weight is going to help you control that and prevent a heart attack. A slow and steady weight loss, like I was saying, is the way to go. Maybe I didn't say that yet, but just that slow, steady change. You know, not more than a pound a week. I hear so many people come to me and say that they've, you know, done this, that, or the other diet. They lost a whole bunch of weight, and then they gained it all back. Uh, we've all heard that story probably. So it's just that slow and steady, sustainable change that you think you can carry out for the rest of your life. Next, know your heart disease numbers. So ask your doctor to check your blood, blood pressure, your cholesterol, your blood sugar, and other important health markers might include CRP or C-reactive protein, which is a measure of general inflammation. That's kind of less commonly known. Um, fibrinogen is another one that not many doctors might choose to do, but that's very helpful information. And vitamin D, actually. Having sufficient vitamin D is really important for heart health. So those tests are going to give you a lot of good information about your heart, and your doctor can help you understand what all the numbers mean and what you need to do to help with those. Know the symptoms of heart attack and stroke. Everybody needs to know those symptoms and what to do. And here's my message to North Idaho. If you feel like you're having a stroke or a heart attack, call 911. Don't sit and wonder and wait and think you can handle it on your own. Um, that's, that's detrimental. <laughs> That really reduces your chances of survival and of having a really good recovery. So get help if you think you're having symptoms. And one thing I'll say specifically about women, in my training we were trained that many women will um, simply experience just some malaise and digestive problems. They'll go to their bedroom by themselves and they're having a heart attack. It's not a good place to be. So know the symptoms. Next, don't smoke. If you do smoke, get the help you need to quit. Natural medicine can really be helpful with that. Limit your alcohol use. If you don't drink, do so in moderation. Uh, for women, that's just one drink, and men, that's two drinks. If you don't already drink, don't start. It's associated with so many other health problems, even moderate drinking. Next, take care of yourself. Stress, anxiety, depression, lack of sleep, they can risk your raise, for, raise your risk for heart disease. And you can take care of yourself with some simple steps. Get enough sleep. Most adults need seven to nine hours of sleep a night. 
Not a lot of people recognize that. And if you're healing from something, I always tell people, you're going to need more than less if you're trying to recover and improve your health. Don't stress. <laughs> it's so easy to say, but if you notice you're stressing, take time to come down. Take, take five minutes to breathe into your belly and allow the Lord to bring peace to you. And, and doing that in the middle of the day when things are really stressful is actually the best time to do it, not kind of when everything is cool and you can relax after work. So take time to, to de-stress and treat mental health problems. Get help if you're having trouble coping because of depression or anxiety or any other health problem. And get an annual checkup. That's a really great time to detect problems early. Last, ask for prayer. So I want to uh, share a testimony with you about um, when Chris and I were in Minnesota, and we, we had just, Chris and Peter had just spoken, and after that service, this man came up and asked Chris and me for prayer, and he said that he had just been diagnosed with AFib or atrial fibrillation, which is a condition where the heart kind of speeds up and has trouble getting back in rhythm, and sometimes they'll even at the hospital have to cardiovert a person where they you shock them to put them back into rhythm. So he was asking us for prayer. And so Chris just immediately laid his hand on his chest and started praying. And I just felt like God was prompting me to put one hand in front of his chest and one hand behind his chest. And I just saw this cardioversion happening from heaven. And so I put my hands on him. Chris put his hand on top of mine. And we were just praying. And I was just praying that and imagining that happening. And all of a sudden, we just felt this guy's heart jump out of his chest. And we both looked at each other like, and we asked him, did you feel that? And he was kind of like, what just happened? <laughs> you know? And he said, yeah, I felt that. So you know, we continued praying, and then he left. Well, the next morning, he came to the Sunday morning service. And what he didn't tell us was that he had been having high blood pressure for quite some time. And he checked his blood pressure that morning, and it was totally normal, lower than it had been in, he couldn't remember how long. So we need to get an update. You know, AFib can just happen here and there. So we need to get an update, but I really believe that God did something supernaturally in that moment. So praise the Lord. Ask for prayer. So God wants to reestablish his rhythm with us. He wants to heal our hearts both naturally and supernaturally. So be proactive. There's a whole bunch of things we can do to really help our hearts, and we need it. We, we need to be here. We don't need to leave this earth too soon. We need to stay here. So, so let's like be the church and be pressing into these arenas of health um, greater and greater. Come on. Amen. So let's talk about that emotional and spiritual heart you know, he wants to heal all aspects of us. He doesn't just leave us partway and only heal the physical and leave us emotionally wrecked. He doesn't do that. He gives us a promise that he's going to renew his heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So when we believe the Lord, he really makes us soft to his will and to his ways. But we really do also have to continue to grow in our belief, especially when life gets hard. That's when it's most challenging. 
We have to allow him to guard our hearts with his peace and grace and continually submit our heart to his, his will and his ways. I, I see a number of people when they are going against God's will, against their heart, what they know to be true in their heart, it, it causes problems. So we, we need to continually, and I'm not saying that's easy, it's a continual growth process where we're continually learning to submit our will to his will, our heart being submitted to his. So the Bible talks a lot about the heart. It's mentioned, I think, 862 times in the Bible. And there's a lot of different descriptors of the heart. Some of the more positive ones are penitent or repentant, gentle, lowly, glad, generous, willing, kind, upright, compassionate. And some of the more negative descriptors are hard-hearted, stiff-hearted, uncircumcised, evil, wily, obstinate, and stubborn. But the, the aspect of the heart that God's really been speaking to me about lately is bitterness. That's one that I've seen wreak havoc in my own family, and I, I certainly see it around me. So that's the one that he's been really talking to me about lately. From the Chinese medical perspective, anxiety and bitterness are the emotions that we'll see when the heart is out of balance. So that's kind of just a signal that the heart is out of balance. It may not be the physical heart yet, but oftentimes it leads to physical heart problems if left untreated. So conventional medicine also is going to recognize the connection between anxiety and depression, and depression can definitely stem from bitterness, and those are associated with increased risk. So we want to do something about it, right? We want to address it. We don't want to just leave it unaddressed. The Bible also teaches us that bitterness of the heart results from mistreatment of some kind, right? And that can be bitterness that's kept in the heart over a long period of time, and, and that leads to death. It's just death. You know, we're either moving towards death or we're moving towards life. Bitterness is not, is not leading us towards life. So let's look at a couple examples of people who in the Bible experience bitterness and try to learn a little something from how things played out in their lives. Ahithophel is the first person that I want to discuss in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, we were joking about that. Ahithophel. He was the trusted counselor of King David. His life is a really great example of how bitterness, when harbored, leads to death. 2 Samuel 16.23 says, Ahithophel's counsel was like the oracles of God, both with David and Absalom. The Amplified Version says that every word he spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. His counsel was anointed by God, and he was really known for being incredibly wise. But despite all that wisdom and anointing, he made some really poor choices that actually ended up costing him his life. He betrayed King David. In Psalm 55, 12 through 14, David is describing this really painful relationship with someone, and scholars believe that this is him describing his relationship with Ahithophel. It says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. 
Ahithophel served David from the very beginning of his reign, and he was his close counselor for years. And then when David's son Absalom staged this rebellion against David, Ahithophel betrayed David and went with Absalom. He became Absalom's counselor. 2 Samuel 17, 1 through 4 describes two really key pieces of advice that Ahithophel gave to Absalom. First, he advised Absalom to publicly go into the king's concubines to show that he was more powerful than the king. He did, and it did show that. The second piece of advice was to quickly pursue David and kill him. And Ahithophel, even though he wasn't a warrior, he volunteered to be the guy at the head of the charge, and he volunteered to just kill one person, King David. That sounds like a person motivated by revenge to me and bitterness. So even though Ahithophel gave this great counsel, as if from God, both to David and to Absalom, something caused him to make these really poor choices that had great cost, his life. So why would Ahithophel betray David? We know that David's greatest sin was his seducing of and adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah then killed to cover his sin. 2 Samuel 11.3 tells us that Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 2 Samuel 23 says Eliah is listed among David's mighty men, and Eliam is, quote, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. So Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. He must have witnessed the destruction of his family when all that happened. You can only imagine. I can only imagine. David definitely betrayed Ahithophel in this most horrible way, and yet David was deeply repentant. God forgave him, but Ahithophel did not forgive David. Ahithophel harbored bitterness. So rather than staying with the king and being able to witness the fact that David was truly repentant, not that that would have fixed it, but I think it would have helped. <laughs> he didn't stay with him. Second Samuel 15:12 tells us that Hithophel left David to go to his home in Gilo. And we don't see anywhere that he admitted to God or admitted to David that he was bitter or upset or hurt, only that Absalom knew that Ahithophel had left the king, and he thought he'd probably be willing to join this. Um, rebellion because he asked him to come with him and Ahithophel was all for it. And I think that Ahithophel just harbored this bitterness for 10 years, waiting for an opportunity, and this rebellion was his opportunity to seek revenge and see that David was punished. Sadly, that's not what happened. Ahithophel betrayed David and it led to his own death. David, on the other hand, in 1 Kings, it says his heart remained true to God. He really recognized his sin and the great damage that it caused, and he allowed his life and any punishment to be in the hands of God. 
He talked about it better that my life would be in his hands than the hands of man. He just fully put himself in God's hands. Many of us have heard the saying that um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. This was really true for Ahithophel. His bitterness was this poison that brought him death. Deuteronomy 29.18 says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of other nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So when we bring our wounded heart to God, God's grace prevents that bitterness from taking that root and yielding all that ugly fruit. God has this way of turning what is bitter into sweetness. I think of the resurrection and Jesus' death. Incredibly bitter death, incredibly sweet resurrection. That's his way. Exodus 15, 23 to 25 says, Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So the tree that he threw into the water represents Christ. It represents the cross. When we bring our bitterness to God through Christ, he changes it. He heals it and makes it sweet. He changes our life circumstance. Ahithophel's life teaches us that when we experience loss or mistreatment, we need to bring those emotions and those hurts to God who gives us the grace to move through the pain and then to forgive. Being able to forgive is a grace given by God. Now let's talk about Naomi. (laughs) Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law. And Ruth is one of Jesus' Gentile ancestors. The story of these two is, I think, a really great example of God turning suffering and bitterness into joy that accomplishes his purpose. Naomi experienced the death of her husband and the death of her two sons, one of whom was married to Ruth. Ruth 1.13 says, Naomi says, or I'm sorry, Naomi is saying to her daughter-in-law, or both of them, in fact, that it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she's bitter for their sake, saying that the hand has, his hand has gone out against them. Don't we do that sometimes? We, we have bitterness for somebody else's sake. Ruth one twenty. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So Naomi expressed her bitterness, even to the point of asking to be called this new name. Mara means bitter. She wanted to be called bitter. She wasn't hiding it like Ahithophel. She was putting it right out there. 
And I don't know if she was doing that to everybody, but she definitely told those two daughters-in-law to call her Mara. She believed that the Lord had dealt her this really bitter hand in life. And I think some of the bitterness that I see around is people who believe that they've just been dealt a bad hand. Yet, unlike Ahithophel, she's having that conversation. She continued to ask in wisdom. And she... uh, advised Ruth how to approach Boaz. Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. He's the one that can redeem her land. There's all this hope that's attached to Boaz. That was kind of their only hope. Naomi was, was fully engaged. She wasn't just isolating and not being active and not listening to God and not using the wisdom that he was giving her. Naomi actually becomes the nurse for Boaz and Ruth's new child. So I just, I'm just struck by the fact that here's this woman that was so bitter, call me bitter, call me bitter. I mean, she'd lost everything, her land, her home, her husband, her sons, and then she goes to, I'm nursing this child that's the fruit of this marriage that I helped usher in, and that's a joyful place to be. God restores. He turns the bitter to sweet. So I think we've all experienced mistreatment and some level of bitterness, but what we do with that can either bring life or death. So I thought I'd give you some things you can do to free yourself from bitterness. First, bring your heart to God. He really listens and he actually cares and he gives you the grace to move through it. So engage in the conversation. Don't let the bitterness overtake your heart and cause all that awful fruit to cause trouble for you and the people around you. You know, it's not just us that it causes trouble for. Next, cultivate a repentant heart. When we really own and repent for our sin, including the sin of harboring unforgiveness, our heart becomes free. He's in the business of setting us free when we repent and turn. So next, give God glory. That's just been coming to me. It's just count and recount and recount the ways that he's been good Gratitude gratitude is a really great antidote to bitterness. It just makes no room for it. When our heart is overflowing and pouring out with gratitude, the good things that he's done, it just makes no room. Last hope in the Lord. Psalm 31.24 says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So when we really remember who God is and take courage and hope in what he's going to do, he actually strengthens our heart. And I think that's our physical heart and our emotional heart. So God turns bitterness into sweetness when we invite him into our process. And I find it really encouraging that both Ruth and Bathsheba, these women who endured so much, are listed in the lineage of Jesus. God is in the business of turning pain into something so good. 
He leads us to joy and to victory. I mean, what a victory. I just love it. That is just so encouraging to me. So on this Mother's Day, take heart. God is healing. God wants to heal our hearts. It's not just all the the misery and the bad and the yuck. He's actually doing something in it. He's the answer. So let him lead you in strengthening your physical heart and your emotional heart so that you can be blessed with good fruit in your long life. So some of us here today are probably bitter from some sort of mistreatment. I'm guessing. I have been. Just preparing this message has been really instructive. Like, oh, I'm bitter in that arena. I didn't realize excuse me, the hold that it had or the the negative impact and the way that it was affecting my emotions and my actions. And and that affects the people around us. We're not, we don't exist in isolation. So let's bring those things to God today. I just want to give you the opportunity. I also want to say that for the people that feel like you've just been dealt a bad hand, God is shuffling the deck and he's giving you a new hand. And I think it's like a royal flush. Really good hand. And I think it's like supernatural. So take heart. His deck is stacked with so much goodness. So I think we have the opportunity right now to bring our hurt and bitterness to God and to let him transform it into something sweet. We also have the opportunity to let God to prompt us to take action to improve the health of our physical heart. So let him prompt you. So I'm going to ask you to stand and let's pray. Thank you, Father. We're just so grateful for what you're doing. God, thank you for highlighting the problem. Lord, you never highlight a problem without being the solution. So God, we just take heart that you are the solution. And Lord, I'm asking that you would help each person here identify any way that they've held on to bitterness in their heart. And God, will you accept that um, as almost an offering? God, you're so good to do an exchange. So Lord, we're asking for exchange today. Bitterness for sweetness. God, forgive us for sowing unhealthy fruit and for having it affect those around us. God, we trust you. We hope in you. We believe that you're so good at at making good fruit. So God, will you do that today? Will you renew our hope? God, we just give you thanks from our full overflowing heart And I just declare that I will be continually saying the praises, singing the praises of your goodness. I'm going to be continually going over those things in my mind. And, And God, will you help with the Holy Spirit just prompting us to be like recounting the miracles and the good things and the miracles and the good things that are allowing us to stand here today and will continue to allow us to thrive. So anybody today, 
that's dealing with bitterness, I just want to encourage you. We're going to put on some music, and I want to encourage you to come to the altar and let it go. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. At least bring it and tell the story. God wants to hear. He cares. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.